If you have your Bible today, please open up to the New Testament book of Ephesians. We'll be in the fifth chapter, and we'll begin reading in verse 21 in just a moment. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21, and, and as you're turning, I'm, I'm going to let you in on what should not be a secret to you, and that is that if you hold to what the Bible says about a great many things, increasingly you're going to be on the fringes of society. If you hold to what the Bible says about morality, about right and wrong, even uh, oddly what constitutes a marriage, you're going to end up uh, being an outcast. You're going to be on, the, like I said, the fringes of society. And what we're going to talk about today is not a popular topic, both outside the American church, but sadly inside the American church it's pretty unpopular as well. We're going to talk about God's plan for husbands and wives. And I believe that the reason this is such an unpop unpopular topic is twofold. First, a lot of people misunderstand uh, the biblical word and the biblical idea that Paul uses when he talks about the relationship between a husband and wife. Uh, but also, secondly, I believe that husbands and wives uh, resist Paul's clear teaching here, frankly, because they're selfish. You know, they, they want things to be about them. It's all about them, them, them. You know, Toby Keith used to have a song out a while back, I want to talk about me. I want to talk about me, 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 me. And that's the, way, that's the way a lot of people are. We want it to be all about us, and we don't want to put somebody else first. And so what I'd like us to do is I'd like us to uh, kind of unfetter ourselves from what society says is, is the right role for a man and a right role for a woman. We can't approach marriage from uh, a chauvinistic view. That seems, seems to be the way things kind of were done in the past. But also we can't approach marriage from a, femi a feminist view, and that seems to be more the... Uh, the view du jour, the, the, the view of the day, but instead we need to have a biblical view. We need to know what God says about marriage because, frankly, uh, it doesn't matter what any of us say. It, it matters what God says. Now, to set the stage for you just a little bit, Paul is talking about, in, in Ephesians 5, about being imitators of God. That's what he says in verse 1. And then he spends the next few verses talking about what that's going to look like. And then when he gets to verse 18... He's, he's telling us, don't be uh, filled with, with wine, don't be, uh, don't be uh, drunk, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And then he applies what that's going to look like to marriage. Okay, so this is all in the context of, of being imitators of God. And what he says is in uh, verse 21 is that an example of being filled with the Spirit is submitting to one another because Christ is your Lord. Okay, so like I said, then he applies that specifically to marriage. So if you found Ephesians 5, uh, please stand with me in honor of God's Word. We're going to pick up reading in verse 21, which is actually, uh, you know, I, I really like Paul. But man, he has some long sentences. And, and some, he starts this sentence way back in like verse 17 or 18, and it goes all the way through verse 21. We're actually picking up kind of in the middle of his sentence in verse 21. But realize that, uh, that what I've said, he's, he's just been talking about being filled with the Spirit. So... Uh, verse 21, he says, And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is head of the church, he himself being Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. 
He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall be joined to his and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you is also to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Thank you. you may be seated. Now. Uh, Paul gives three very, very clear directives, three uh, commands to, uh, to couples, and, and he gives one to wives and two to husbands. The first one that he gives is he says in verse 22, Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Be subject to your own husbands. Now, uh, you might be looking at that and, and thinking back to verse 21 and saying, but he just said you need to be uh, mutually submitted to one another. You need to submit yourselves one to another. And yet he calls wives specifically to submit to their husbands. What is that? Is that some kind of contradiction in terms? Is, is he kind of, uh, is he giving us some doublespeak? Well, there is no doublespeak here. Men are called to be subject to their wives. However, the way God has designed the families, he has set man in the position of leadership. He, he said, the, the wording that Paul uses is that man is the head of the wife. Now, I've noticed something about, uh, about nature, and that is that if there's an animal that doesn't have a head, it's dead. And if it has more than one head, it's a freak. And when you, when you apply that to marriage, it, it's the same thing. Somebody's got to take the lead, and if you've got more than one person doing it, there's going to be some problems because you're trying to go two, two different ways sometimes. And, and so we look at that and we say, oh, now, Paul, that is some, that is some, whew, that is some fundamentalist stuff right there. I mean, we, we say that so, that, boy, he's taking a hard stance. But when you think about what he's, the, the environment in which he's writing, it, it's just the opposite. Remember, he's writing to people who are uh, basically under, uh, they have the Roman mindset. And in the Roman way that uh, families were set up, the father had absolute say over everything that happened in the family. So much so that if the father said, I want my son or daughter to die, that son or daughter was put to death. I mean, you didn't make dad mad, right? I mean, there were some times I thought dad, my dad was going to take care of the situation himself because, whew. But anyway, that, I mean, it was the real deal back then. And so all these, all these moralists and stuff back then, they had different codes. They would say, this is the way family should work. This is the way home life should be. You know, slaves, you should submit to your masters. You should obey them. Children, you should obey your parents. And wives, you should submit to your husbands. But never, outside of Paul up to this point, they would never say, husbands, submit yourselves to your wives in any shape, form, or fashion. They would say, this is a radical thing. This was unheard of. So we look at this and we say, man, Paul, you are, whew, you are out there. You are taking a hard stance. And the people of this day would have said, man, you're being so soft. Isn't that, isn't that crazy how our, how our perceptions of things change over time? Now, the reason that a lot of people bristle at this is because verse 22 says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands, as to the Lord. And they look at this and they say, I don't like that idea of being in subjection to, or your Bible may say submitting to. I don't, I'm not going to submit to anybody. Back whenever I was a kid, if you wrestled around with somebody, boy, they put it on you until you said what? Uncle, say uncle. Oh, I'm, I'm not saying it. Okay, uncle, uncle. You know, and, and that's what we think of. I don't know why uncle was it, but that's, 
that's what we think of when we think of submission, isn't it? Now, I, I, I do martial arts, I'm in jiu-jitsu, and, and so um, the, it's tap. You have to tap out. Your tap, it's tap, snap, or nap. If you don't tap, if you don't submit, if you don't give up, you either get something hurt or broke, or you're going to sleep, you're getting choked out. And that's what we think of in our, in our common culture today as being submission. We think, that, we think of it as strong-arming somebody. I'm going to force you to do what I want. You have to give up so that I have my way. I'm reading Frederick Douglass's um, autobiography, autobiography right now. And he was a slave down south back in the 1800s, and then he ended up being a slave in the north. And one of the observations that he has is that slave masters in the south were different from slave masters in the north. And one of the things that he said was that slave masters in the south... They were only content if, if, if there was like the servile fear whenever you'd approach them. And you almost had to come on like bended knee and, and tremble and stuff like that. And that, I think, is the idea that we have in our minds when we read Paul saying, wives, submit to your own husbands. We think, or at least in the common culture, they think of, you know, this, this mean, grouchy old man and this wife that has to come begging, you know, servile fear. Oh, massacre, please do that, blah, 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 you know. And that's what we think of. We think of it as, as Paul saying, one is superior, the other is inferior. But that's not the way it is. This is a military term that means to subordinate to. It really means I'm going to put your needs, your wants, your desires ahead of my own. That sounds a lot nicer, doesn't it? Because that's what Paul's saying. He says we need to put the other person first. And the ultimate example of the one who did that is Jesus himself, isn't it? And when we submit to one another, both men submitting to women and women submitting to men, we're emulating Christ. We're copying Christ. I mean, just think about it. All throughout the Gospels, he says, I didn't come to do my will, but whose? The will of my Father. Up, up in the upper room, he washed the disciples' feet. He said, I came to serve rather than to be served. Philippians 2.8, he says, being found in appearance as a man... He, being Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He submitted himself. He put our needs ahead of his own. So much so he died on the cross for you and for me. And so when Paul says, submit yourselves to one another in verse 21, he's saying put the other person first. And so in a marriage relationship, when wives are called to submit, they're saying, he, Paul is saying, you need to follow your husband's lead. You need to respect what he says. You need to uh, uh, follow his leadership in Christ. For the husband, that means you put aside your own interests in order to care for your wife. It, it, means, it means that you take care of her. And you know, submitting to one another like that is rarely an issue. It's really di rarely difficult when both people have a stronger relationship with Christ and they're more concerned about their other, the, the, the other person's happiness than their own. When I know that somebody's looking out for my best interest, it's a lot easier for me to, to listen to what they're saying, to put them first, than if I think they're trying to strong-arm me into something. Now, to go along with this, you'll notice that he says, uh, for the husband is head of the wife, as Christ also is head of the church, and so on and so forth. And men, here's a word for us. I believe this is saying something to us about spiritual leadership in the home. We're to be the spiritual leaders in our homes, and many of us fail. And, and I'm not talking about perfection because none of us can, are ever perfect, men or women. But there, there's a phenomenon in the American church that men do not go to church. 
I've I've seen several books. I've read a, a book or two on why men hate going to church, and you know they they come up with all these different reasons. But in the end, Paul says, you know, men, you need to take the lead. And a lot of guys would rather stay home and watch football than go to church. Uh, they don't encourage or facilitate. And I understand, you know, work schedules and different things like that. I I get that. I've been there. But what 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 this is talking about is men, husbands need to be encouraging, helping, facilitating in some way their wife and their kids' spiritual well-being. And today, many women have stepped up and filled that role, and they deserve some kudos for that. Now, some people still, even though I'm saying all this, may be chafing under this idea of, I still don't like this idea of submitting. Well, women, if it makes you feel any better, think of it this way. Women are called to submit, to be subject to, men are called to die. <laughs> die daily to self, but also, if need be, to protect the family. So, if that helps put a better spin on it, think of it that way. Now, you might be noticing verse 24, he says, Wives ought to, uh, ought to be in subjection to their husbands in everything. You might be saying, ah, now, this sounds like it's pretty absolute to me. Again, we have to realize uh, that this is spoken in the context of the whole Bible. You remember in the book of Acts, there were uh, religious leaders, and Paul says in the book of Romans, you'd be subject to, your, uh, uh, to the governing authorities, and they said, don't talk about Jesus. And they said, we, we've got to obey God rather than men. And I think the same principle applies here. If, if a husband is trying to, uh, to hinder a wife from, uh, in her spiritual life, you know, keep her from going to church, trying to get her to do something God forbid, something like that, They've gone beyond their proper place and intruded into God's realm, and they have no authority there. They're acting inappropriately. We must, both men and women, must obey God rather than any man. Okay? So, that's the word to wives. Husbands, he says in verse uh, 25, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, how did Christ love the church? First, he loved it by serving it. And this gets into that mutual submission thing, doesn't it? He served the church. He put us, Christians, the church, before himself. I like what one commentator said. He said, where commands begin in this relation, happiness usually ends. And the moment a husband requires a wife to do something, it is usually a signal of departing or departed affection and peace. When there are proper feelings in both parties in this relation... There will be no occasion either to command or to obey. I thought that was, I thought that was a great observation. If, if you've got somebody, man or woman, that's demanding the other person do something, a lot of times there's some problems there anyway. But when you're, when you're working together, a lot of times you're, you're going the same direction. Now, you may have differences of opinion, but there's a difference between, hey, let's work this out, and you better do this. Right? There, there's a big difference. So... so uh, so what is, he, what is he talking about? He says, uh, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That means looking out for her physical and spiritual well-being. And, and I mentioned this before. Christ came to serve, not to be served. But also, uh, he, he didn't just love us uh, uh, servingly. He loved us sacrificially. He gave himself up for us. Men that are married, would you die for your wife? Would you die for your kids? And, of course, we all think that we're Rambo. Oh, if anybody ever does anything, well, I'm going to do that. You know. But, I mean, really, if push comes to shove, 
And, I mean, goodness knows this world is getting, hopefully we never face that. But, I mean, there's stuff happening in Oklahoma, Tennessee, places that you wouldn't think of, big stuff happening. And here's, here are people going nuts and shooting people. Would you give your life for your family? That's what Paul says. We need to be willing to give up even our lives. And he goes on to say uh, in, uh, in uh, verse 28, the second command is love your wives as your own body. Now, I look in the mirror and I don't love the way my body looks. I freely admit that. But you know what? As he says, we nourish our bodies. We care for it. If you're hungry, you get a bite to eat, right? Now, I'm going to, you know, I, I sinned pretty bad the other day on Friday. Because gluttony is still a sin. Because what happened was I went to jiu-jitsu and, and we ended up, sparring for about 40 or 45 minutes and well that's, that's hard exercise if you've never done it you need to you need to come to a class with me you will you will be tired and i walked out of there and i hadn't eaten a whole lot and i didn't eat a whole lot for lunch and then we went swimming and, you know that just really works up an appetite too and we went to some friend's house and they grilled out big old thick burgers and when i was driving in the car i wasn't even hungry but boy when i got there I had all the food out, and I, I was looking at it. started getting hungry, powerful hungry. And I got a burger. Well, first I got some pasta salad, and I had a little bit more. And then I had a hamburger, big old thick sucker. I mean, it was good cheese and pickles. It was, boy. And then I had another hamburger. And then I had some chips. And then they said, well, we have some, some cookies for dessert. Chocolate chip, one of my favorites. And I had probably half a dozen cookies. But then I had another hamburger because I couldn't, I couldn't decide. Well, I didn't have the cookies, right? Uh, maybe I did. I, I, I kind of ate cookies throughout the meal somehow. And, um, but anyway, so I, I just sit there and Scarlett can testify this. Between hamburger two and three, I was, I was deliberating. Should I have another one? Should I not? And I knew I shouldn't, but, man, I was still kind of hungry and it was good and, and so I had a third one, and then we were sitting there, and then she, the, the lady who was hosting us, she got in the, the fridge for something, and she opened it up, and she said, oh, we have dessert now. And I said, dessert? What about the cookies? They said, oh, no, we have trifle, too. And if you don't want to know what trifle is, it's a great big thing, and there was strawberries and blueberries and pound cake and whipped cream. Man, it was just layered, and that sucker was probably that deep. And I thought, boy, it would be rude <laughs> for me not to have some of this. But I thought, and, and I was hurting. Man, I was full to the gills, and that third burger just wasn't setting well, and, and I thought, I should not eat this. But when you're raised a certain way, you know, you, it's hard to overcome that. And so, by golly, I had some trifle, too. And I have been paying for it ever since. I mean, even to this, even today, I am still not feeling 100% because, man, it was bad. But what I'm saying is, and I don't know why I went off that long on that. You love your body. You, love your body. you may not, and that's why I don't love the way it looks. But you, when you're hungry, you feed it. When you're hot, you put some clothes on. When you're, uh, or take some off. When you're cold, you put more on. You get the idea. And he says, husbands. 
If you love your wife, you love your you, you you love yourself. What is he saying? The two have become one flesh. When you take care of her, you're taking care of yourself. And that's and it goes beyond just the happy wife, happy life. He's saying that the two have become one flesh, and if one thing affects one of you, it's going to affect the two of you, because the two are now one. And so, so marriage, he says. Is real, and, and he applies that verse out of the book of Genesis specifically to the church in Christ. And he says, This is a great mystery about the two become one flesh, but I speak of Christ and the church. What he's saying is, marriage pictures Jesus and the church. The, the family is a microcosm of the church. And that's one reason why the Bible stands against divorce so much, is because divorce essentially destroys that picture, or at least damages it in the world. So what does he say? In verse uh, 33, he, he sums it all up. He says, Husbands, love your wives as yourself. Wives, respect your husbands. That's a great, that's a great spot to, to close out, because that's where Paul closes it. That's how he applies it. And the old commentator Matthew Henry had this gem in his, in his commentary on this passage. He said, There will be failures and defects on both sides in this present state of human nature. Yet this does not alter the relation." All the duties of marriage are in, included in unity and love. And I thought that was just a, that was just a great thing because sometimes we look at our spouse and we say, I can't, I can't honor them, I can't respect them, I can't love them, or whatever it is because whatever defect they have in their characters, their relationship. And, and the Bible doesn't say, this is what God wants you to do so long as your spouse is perfect. Because there are two imperfect people in that marriage. And so this isn't talking about perfection. But men, we ought to love our wives as we love ourselves because ultimately, again, we're one with our, with our wives. We ought to love and serve her as Christ served and loved the church and ultimately gave himself for her. Not lording some position over uh, the woman saying, you have to do what I say because the pastor read it right out of the Bible. You have to submit bring me some cold iced tea well I you know that's not what the Bible's saying but you you need to respect her love her honor her cherish her and wives you ought to respect and love and honor and cherish your husband follow his spiritual leadership and again your marriage isn't going to be perfect because you're not perfect I'm not perfect but you know what there's going to be a lot less friction involved when that happens it's going to be a lot sweeter. So I just wonder, everybody's at a different spot in your lives. What, what is it you need to commit to doing? Is it having, showing leadership in, your, in the family? Is it honoring that leadership? Is it showing respect either to the man or to the woman? Whatever it is you need to do, work on that. Sometimes people say, oh, well, I'm just in such a bad spot. And that, that may very well be. Work it out. Work on it. Work towards, work towards the relationship that you want to have. I want you to stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And nobody looking around again. I'm not calling anybody perfection because if I was, I'd first have to call.
call myself to that, and I am far from perfect. That's not what the Bible calls us to. The Bible calls us in this imperfect world that we live in, in all the weird situations we sometimes find ourselves in, and the difficulties that we find ourselves in. Love, honor, and respect your spouse. And I know I've spoken specifically to um, to married folks. Maybe you're in a position where you're not married. Ask that God still apply this to your life and your heart in some way. Maybe you're not a Christian. I've been speaking specifically to Christians. But maybe God is applying this to your life, saying you need to be part of the church. Not that you need to join the church, be baptized, get your name on the church roll, but you need to repent of your sins, put your faith in Christ.